Hello everybody, my name is Scotty Carlisle and today we have Eddie Montoya. And Eddie is a vet and he has been doing a lot of things for the community. So I wanted to get him on the podcast to talk to him about the things that he's doing, what he has in store for the future, and maybe we can glean some insight from his experience, which propelled him to the things that he does now. So without further ado, Eddie, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us what you do and why you do it? Actually, what do you do? So my, my name is Eddie Montoya. Uh, a lot of people around here call me Doc. I'm a retired army medic. Um, did 16 years before they finally pushed me out and said no more. Um, <laughs> I got into uh, drugs and alcohol after I got out and I got in pretty deep. Um, from the moment I woke up, I was drinking until the time I passed out, uh, whichever time that would be. Uh, sometimes I'd come home, sometimes I wouldn't. I was married and married, but married with kids and uh, they were at a point where they just said, I can't take this anymore. You know, my kids and my wife just saying, hey, we're gonna leave, we can't do this. You know, you're, uh, you're wasting your life away, but you're also taking us down with you. Um, so that was, that was difficult to swallow. I, I continued to drink for a good little while. Um, and going to the bar and drinking led to other recreational activities. Um, started out with cocaine. Uh, when I didn't have the money for that anymore, you know, the next best thing would be meth. So, uh, I, I really didn't get hooked too much on those things. I, it was mainly the alcohol. Um, and I think it was a way for me to drown out everything that I had seen, you know, during combat. Um, again, I was a medic, so, you know, you can only imagine the things that, that I witnessed. Um, during my last two months of drinking, I ended up in the hospital three different times. Uh, first time was my liver. It just wasn't acting right. And I ended up in the hospital, I don't know, close to a week. Second time, I, it was two weeks later. I just didn't want to drink anymore. I was, I was tired. I was letting my family down. I was, you know, my body's feeling beat up. And I found myself crying in the parking lot of the bar. Uh, one one of many of my local establishments, but just crying, you know, and who do I reach out to? I figured, okay, well, maybe I'll call the VA crisis line. Maybe they can help me out. Just kind of tell me it's going to be okay. Um, that call was unsuccessful. Um, and after three different calls being un unsuccessful, I decided, you know what? You still have the strength. Go to the VA. They have an on-call psych. Maybe somebody could just talk to you. I went to the ER, told them everything, you know, hey, I'm not homicidal, I'm not suicidal, I just don't want to drink. You know, just let me talk to your psych and tell them, or have them tell me everything's going to be okay. Um, I just needed some guidance. I didn't know how to stop. I couldn't stop. They, uh, they ended up putting me in psych for three days on a psych hold. Um, I told him repeatedly, I don't belong here. I just don't want to drink. 
help me stop drinking. I still didn't stop drinking. Two weeks later, my pancreas failed. And um, so I was in that time for another week and a half, two weeks. They had me on Dilaudid the entire time, so pretty much comatose. Mm. Um, doctor told me, you know, hey, we don't think you're going to make it out of this this one. You know, it's time to start talking to your family. Oh, wow. That was a scary moment. And you would have thought I would have learned. And I didn't. Um, we're leaving the hospital after a couple of weeks. And I tell my wife, I said, hey, pull over and grab me some beer real quick. She pulled over, but she didn't pull into a, into a liquor store. She pulled over and said, are you kidding me? We just been sitting over your, over your bed with the doctor telling us that you're probably not going to make it this time. So I'll stop and get you some beer. But when we get home, me and the kids, we're all leaving. I was like, oh, man. Oh, crap. What do I do now? And I thought to myself, and this is all within a couple of minute time span. And I just, I said, you know, I haven't been this sober in a really, really long time. I could do it. And so today I sit here seven and a half years sober. Wow. Seven and a half years. And I'll tell you, it's, it's um, still not easy. I've learned to cope and I've learned to deal with it. But when I'm with friends and family, you know, they're having a drink, they're having a beer. I want a beer. I want a drink. I want to, I want to have a social glass of wine with my wife. I can't, I can't. And I think that's because of the fear that I have that I'll go right back to that same exact spot that I was in. And I don't want that. It's dark. It's scary. It's lonely, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, after I did that, I guess during my drunk times, me and some, me and some of my buddies from my, uh, my previous unit that we went to combat with, we had been talking during drunk nights, you know, over the telephone or chatting on Facebook or something. Let's walk across country. And... I, I forgot about that. So I get a phone call. Hey, Doc, uh, we'll be out there in California. You ready to go? Ready for what? What are we doing? We're walking across country, remember? Oh, sh oh crap. Oh, crap. <laughs> Damn. So now I got to tell my wife, hey, I'm going to be gone six months. What? Six months. She probably didn't take that real well. <laughs> no, no, um, but she was okay. She knew that I was, I was on a path and I was on a journey to, uh, trying to heal, trying to become a better person, trying to become a better version of me. She, and she knew that. So, uh, the deal I made with them, I said, Hey, I, I'm not going to be able to go the entire distance because I still have obligations here and I haven't made the plans to cut off six months of my life. So I said, look, I'll, I'll walk through, you know, from Santa Monica Pier, you know, through California, and then I'll just meet up with you guys, you know, uh, uh, 
along the way. So that's pretty much what I did. So when we finish um, in Washington, D.C., we started at Santa Monica Pier, you know, kind of like um, Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, and pretty much what we were trying to do is we were trying to find the America that we fought for. That was during the the political climate when, uh, at the beginning of the political climate when veterans were racists and bigots and, you know, all those other words. And, you know, we're just saying, no, we're not. What's going on? Why, why does everybody hate us? So we wanted to find the America that, that we had fought for. So from the start of our journey off that pier, people started donating cases of water. Here's $300 for a room stay. Here's some money for a campground stay. You know, and it just kept on going. Hmm. So by the time we were done, we had some money saved up from all of this, you know, donation giving from from the communities uh, in different states. Hmm. And I, I told my guys, I said, hey, so what are we going to do with the money? Are we just going to redonate it to, you know, another nonprofit that's doing stuff for veterans? No, Doc, we, uh, we were talking. We want you to start a nonprofit. Huh. I don't, I don't know how to do that. So what are we going to do it for? Well, we want to do it for veteran suicide. And to myself, I thought, you know, that's such a broad, you know, it's such a broad subject. Veteran suicide. But for what? Um, so a week before we, uh, before we set foot in Santa Monica, one of the guys who was supposed to go with us, he ended up um, becoming a statistic and taking his own life. Um, so every day on the schedule, on the calendar, we'd see his name. And that kind of really... Yeah kind of really messed us up um so i want to say we were around the pomona area uh we we took route 66 all the way through and then cut across uh the united states in in the middle um he ended up committing suicide we see his name kind of messed us up we decide to go to a kinko's get a big picture blown up of him put it right by the calendar and uh and we're doing this walk for you. That's you cool. know, now we're doing this walk for you. And um, so veteran suicide was the, was the topic, the subject. I did what I could to get things started. Got my 501c3, you know, all, all of the things that, that come with creating a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. But now what? I've created this. But what am I gonna do? Okay, well I gotta get the name out. I gotta. I'm already, you know, well known in the veteran community. I, I volunteer a lot in the veteran community and I'm very active. So they know me, but they don't know the organization. So I do many events trying to get this organization going. What are you gonna do? I don't know. We're gonna, you know, help veterans. But what are you gonna do to help veterans? Uh, we're gonna help them reintegrate. But how? Uh, we're going to... And, and I, I just didn't know. I couldn't pinpoint what I was going to do. 
<clears throat> so after about three years of taking, you know, donations and, you know, money from different people within the community, I decided to take a year off and step back and figure this out. And in order to figure out the nonprofit portion, I needed to figure out myself. What am I going to do myself? I need to invest in me. So during that time, I got my degree. Um, I got certified as a certified peer support, um, certified in drug and alcohol recovery, suicide intervention. And then things started to come together. Now I know what I'm going to do. And it's all along the lines of veteran suicide. During that time, I ended up finding an organization, a service dog organization, and I found that with Working Dogs for Warriors. Now, on my way to finding a service dog organization, I went through many different organizations in Florida, Tennessee, uh, Montana. Different states had organizations that they're willing to get me a service dog but a lot of organizations, they want money. So they would say, okay, well, the cost is $45,000. Uh, you pay us. We fly you out for two weeks. We train you to your already trained service dog. Just a disabled veteran. I, I don't have that kind of money. Wow. Um, so I kept on looking. And I, find, I found Working Dogs for Warriors. And it just so happens they're only seven minutes away from my house. So it's perfect. Oh, wow. Um, found them. Submitted an application. I get a call within a couple of days. Hey, we'd like you to come check us out. That's awesome. I would love to come check you out. Because at this time, I was already sober. And I thought being sober was going to be the cure-all, fix-all. To my, to my own mental health. And I had been telling my wife, I still don't feel good. Go to the VA. I don't want to go to the VA. Anymore. I've done therapy. I've done all these medications. I need something more. And I, I can't figure it out, but I don't feel good. You know, in my head, I don't feel good. You need a service dog. I have dogs. What is a service dog going to do that my dogs can't do? I love them. Yeah, good point. But what is this another dog going to do for me? I don't know. Let's try it. And I was, I was kind of at my wit's end. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. So I went and I met with Mike, uh, Mike Welsh with Working Dogs for Warriors. And they welcomed me in and they said, hey, we're different than any other service dog organization. We want to bring you in and we want you to be part of our family. We're not just going to train you for a dog and say, see ya. We want to bring you in to build a family of handlers and service dogs. Huh. I like that. I, I like that. And I think reason I liked it was because it, it kind of gave me the sense of togetherness, like military again. You know, um, the sense of esprit de corps. Right, now we're together again. Now we fight this battle as a unit 
instead of you fighting this battle alone. And I, I really like that concept. So now I've been with them for about three years. I have my service dog, Sly. I don't know if you could see him. He's down here sleeping. <laughs> but um, I, got my, I got my dog when he was about eight weeks old. And we waited till he got his shots and everything was ready to go. And he's been training now since he was six months. Uh, he's trained in, you know, many different things. But one of the biggest things he's trained to do is he detects my PTSD. So he can, he can smell my PTSD what? before I feel it. And he will let me know, hey, we got to go. We got to get out of this packed shopping center. We got to, you know, I got to get you out of this room uh, because you're eating yourself up. Um, hey, here's my toy. Play with me. Um, now, along that same, the same lines, when he senses it, if he can smell it, he turns around and looks at me, and he, he wants to know if I'm doing any of these signs, uh, the anxiety type signs, picking your nails, biting your nails, shaking your leg, you know, hands covering my face. He wants to see that, and if he sees it, it's an automatic distress to him. And he interrupts it all. He'll come and he'll just lick my face. He'll jump on me. Um, gets me out of that thought process that I'm going through. And just puts all my focus on him. So that's one of the biggest things that he does for me. Wow. So now I have this organization. And I have a service dog. And... Mike and Daisy with Working Dogs for Warriors, they said, Doc, you have these skills. You have your organization. Let's, let's get you out there. You can do this. You're, you're in a great spot now, and you're helping a lot of different veterans. Let's get you out there and get your face going so we can boost you up. And so with that, this past year, uh, I really hit it hard um, because I, they're right. I have been helping a lot of veterans and, and it's all selfless. You know, I don't get paid for it. I don't, nothing comes back to me. Um, and they said, let's do this through your organization. Let's really build you so we can build more of you. Because right now I'm kind of like a one man band. Um, I, I have others, you know, who help out. Um, but I'm essentially one person that does all of this, you know, does the peer support, you know, and again, I have others who, who help out a whole lot. Um, so I don't want to take all that credit, but I, I need to get others trained to my, uh, to my level as far as the suicide intervention, the drug and alcohol recovery, the uh, peer support uh, status. And so I pushed real hard doing events. Um, I started a couple of different peer support groups. Um, COVID hit. I started an online peer support group. Actually, I have two of them that are still running today. Um, even though COVID passed, they want to continue because it's really helping them out. Um, and I think that's really awesome. Um, just being able to be myself 
and at the same time helping others um and helping others just being myself is, is such a uh it's, it's so great to be able to do that uh not not many people can do that you know and it's kind of like they say if you do what you love is it really considered work no i'm not working <laughs> i do what i love every day and i don't consider it work you know i get phone calls you know in the middle of the night you know a crisis call so what i lose sleep i'm still doing what i love um and that's the best part of what i do um my job or my work or whatever you want to call it i don't consider it work because i love to do what i do um so now we're at a point to where my organization brotherhood bridge foundation where i can offer one-on-one -on -one peer support services i have a couple of different physical peer support groups give me an example of peer support what would you do for a peer support as a peer support um you're kind of just you're there for that person you're not a therapist by any means um i don't have that education i don't have uh what it takes to be a therapist at this point in time maybe sometime uh, in the future but right now uh a peer support is pretty much someone who's been there done that too um i've been an alcoholic i've been an addict i've been blown up i've been to combat um i've been almost homeless you know i i've been a lot of different things so being able to talk about it to others that are still struggling with those different types of uh daily struggles i think that's the biggest part is i've been there too i've been there too and you're hearing it from someone who who has also been down that same path and not just read it out of a book or right. took a test one time um you know or somebody that's part of the government you right know, the va um your agency your department that you're part of i'm just a third party you know i don't know you but i've been there too you know let's talk about it i'm that ear i i can walk the walk with you i can you know walk this journey i can't i can't give you the i can't make you do anything but i can walk the walk with you i can stand shoulder to shoulder with you and tell you what i did to help myself can't tell you how to do it i can help give you the tools you're gonna have to do it yourself but i want to walk that walk with you it it doesn't have to be a journey that's walked alone and the reason i enjoy that is because i I essentially did walk it alone. Yeah, I did have support. Uh, I had my wife and I, I had people that, you know, attempted to guide me. But I essentially walked it alone. And I just want others to know you don't have to. You don't have to walk alone. You have somebody here and willing just to help you out. Um, so, like I said, I, I am certified peer support. Um, I've done my drug and alcohol recovery um suicide intervention and soon next month i'm i will be uh trained to instruct the suicide intervention the assist course 
So I will be a, an assist trainer. And, and what exactly does that mean? So an assist <clears throat> trainer, it's, it's applied suicide intervention skills and techniques. So basically if somebody calls because they're having a, oh shit, I'm, you know, I'm sick of this. I'm going to check out. You basically are instructed in ways of talking them down off the ledge. Right. Right. You know, letting them know that they're worth it. You're worth it. You know, uh, your time here doesn't have to be over. Um, and a lot of times, you know, there's alcohol involved, sometimes a firearm, uh, and that, that gets pretty scary sometimes, but, uh, we got to help our, our, you know, men and women out. They, uh, some of them survived combat. Some of them survived other traumas. Um, not to come home and, and, you know, end it this way. Doesn't need to. Uh, you have somebody here that's willing to help you out. Uh, but back on the assist, uh, next month I will be uh, trained and certified to instruct that course. So that's that's a big plus for me. Wow, that's cool. I um, you know, there there's also something that that I know is prevalent that you haven't mentioned as far as mental health, as far as diagnoses of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or any of those things. And, and I know it's a real big problem when it comes to, let's say the homeless popu population, you know, people, uh, look at, at homeless and, you know, you have really where I've noticed you got, you have, I'm just going to call them bleeding hearts. I'm not saying that's bad, but they see somebody hurting and they, they, it, it really bothers them and they stand up and they speak out and, and they, you know, it gets aggravated. And then you have other people that have experienced homelessness near them and they're pissed off at people that are homeless because, for example, this person that was homeless um, defecated in their backyard or, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so they're pissed that that would happen to them and, and they can't see past that. And so whenever they see somebody homeless, that's what they're automatic, like, wow, the pooped in my yard and then this other person is like oh my god i'm you know they can't see and and so there's a big uh it's it's a very hard to agree with those two different you know ends of the spectrum but i i don't think that mental health is talked about enough because sometimes a lot of i i feel like there are a lot of people that are homeless because of mental health and then mental health basically pushes them in directions of alcohol and you know where where and i'm not saying that they get a, a free pass of responsibility you know but at the same time how if somebody is is on a good one where they're like let's say bipolar manic depressive pissed off angry bah how and and do you ask them, do they have a, a history of mental health or do you, do you get into that at all? Or, um, sometimes I will, I try to stay clear of it unless they initiate that. Um, because I am not a medical or a, a mental health, um, professional, if you will. I'm not a therapist. Uh, I can't diagnose. I can, I can only speculate, but uh, if it's introduced to me, 
you know, yeah, I, I do have bipolar or, you know, if, if they display signs, you know, Hey, do you have any mental health, uh, history? I may ask something like that, but I try to stay away from it unless it's, uh, brought to my attention. But, um, again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. Right. So I, I kind of want to stay away from that until it's presented to me. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to feel like I'm being intrusive because now I sound like them at the VA. Yeah. Right. You know, and not to say that, that the people at the VA are, are necessarily doing bad things or if they're, or that they're all bad, but I want to gain the trust of the individual. And a lot of people don't have trust in the VA. They've had a bad deal with a doctor. Or um, doctors. Or doctors. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to give them the impression that I'm trying to pry. So I need yeah. that information to be presented to me first. You know, the reason I asked, um, my little sister, we had, she's had a history of, of issues and you know, these issues that we're talking about definitely transcend just vets, right? It's very prevalent in vets, but there are a lot of people, anybody that's lived for more than 25 years, you know, they've had some shit happen to them at some point in their life, whether it's abuse, whether it's, you know, some kind of traumatic incident, right. you know, whatever it is. And, and my little sister, you know, had, had some traumatic things happen and, she ended up getting addicted to some different kinds of medication and was also diagnosed as schizophrenic and bipolar and manic depressive and all this. So this is why I, because I'm, it's so close to me and, you know, she wasn't military. I was, she wasn't. And, and, and I always did when, whenever I talked to her, I wanted to be there next to her, let her know, Hey, you know, and, but then she would go on this episode sometimes where it would be there was no reason there's no reasoning with her in that state it wasn't her it was her on in a state of mind that was not listening to reason and it would and she would be so angry like i my mom was having a hard time with her so i wanted her to come up here and stay with me my guess my little sister man I, i'll set her right, straight right i'll set her straight and she came out here and, and the first time it had happened, you know, me and you were talking and let's say she's sitting here. We didn't address her, like, you know, nothing against or for or nothing. She was just here. And then all of a sudden you would look over and steam's coming out of her ears. She's so pissed off. Like, and, and, and she's angry, like just, and you know, like just tapping her foot or like, you know, clenching mm -hmm. her fist and her mouth and like, you know, Serena, what's the matter? Oh, nothing. And then she'd just be like, Bruh, don't talk, you know, and just so pissed off. And and there was nothing I could do to talk to her, to try to talk her right. down. I love you, Serena. You know, that kind of shit. She would do, get away from me. Get away from me. And she pissed off. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering in situations like that, have you ever talked to somebody that is in a state of being that is so um, aggressive or that that you can't really reason with them or is it that when they call they're already in a state of like you know what i'm i'm in a reasonable frame of mind and i need to talk to somebody is that more of what you get or do you ever get that well i i have a family member um with 
that kind of issue. Um, but I, I haven't, thankfully, I guess, but I haven't had to deal with a veteran that, or first responder that has been going through that. Um, I guess, thankfully, but yeah, I mean, the crisis calls that I have had, um, normally, normally stem from relation, a relationship issue, alcohol or drugs. And then it's escalated to the point where that's it. My time here is done. And then I'll get a phone call. Um, and then I'll, I'll shoot out there and try to figure out what's going on. Um, now I think, I think me going out there sometimes is risky, uh, because they're already in a, in a moment of rage, uh, alcohol or drug fueled, and it could get, um, what do I want to say? It could get dangerous. Now, my, my wife is a therapist and she'll tell me, you know, by the book type, you know, she'll give me by the book type answers. You need to call the police. You need to do this and then go. Um, I have a little different thinking on that. By calling the police on a combat veteran who's drunk with a weapon, I, I, I kind of think that's a bad idea. Um, I understand her reasoning, you know, and clinical wise, that might be the right thing to do. Um, but I'm going to a home. Um, if I send officers in there to go hard charging, you know, on a combat veteran who has a weapon and drunk already, I, for one, am putting the officers in danger. Uh, but for two, I'm putting that, I'm kind of setting that veteran or first responder up for failure. I think I'm setting them up, him or her, up to, to something catastrophic happening. And I don't think it, I think it could be resolved by getting that one-on-one. Look, I'm just, I'm part of you. Um, normally when I go in, I do disarm right away or I got to go. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to be part of this that you got going on. But if I do have to leave, then I will definitely call uh, law enforcement. Uh, I haven't had to get to that point. Everybody normally will, will be okay. I'm neutral. I'm a third party. I have nothing to do with the government. I have nothing to do with what you're mad at. Um, it's just chat. Let's talk. What's on your mind? You know, things don't have to be like this. But what's up? You tell me. Um, and then we try to help go through a plan on getting out of this. You know, I try to help give the tools for you to get yourself out of this. And how can I help? So with the Brotherhood Bridge Foundation, you're, if somebody wanted to help with that, or they called you and they said, hey, I want to volunteer my time, you would walk them through a process in order to get them educated so they could also talk to vets or is that or what exactly would somebody 
how would you direct somebody that wanted to help vets with you? Well, it all, it all depends on what kind of education and experience and knowledge they already have. But depending on that uh, would determine the direction that I would be able to, to help guide them. I am in a position to where I can get them trained up to where, to where they want to be or to where they, where they need to be. Uh, what I would like to do is I would like to get other veterans with the same kind of like mind that want to help vets, that are willing to put in the time and get them trained up and start their own peer support groups in their areas um, and doing it, you know, with the assistance of Brotherhood Bridge Foundation. But and, and show them how to how to get things started. Because it's confusing getting things started. Uh, how do I do it? Who's going to come? How do I advertise? How, they, everybody's lost. What do I do? <laughs> and how do I do it? Is this going to cost me money? How much time do I got to put in? You know, sometimes you got to put in a lot of time. Um, because this job is very selfless. And you have to be at, at the need of the veteran or first responder. Do you have people that are helping you now? I do. I do. Um, I have a, uh, a retired police officer who helps me with the peer support part. Um, I have my project manager, my program director, who is out of Oregon. Uh, she is the aunt of one of our fallen in Iraq. Um, and she helps with the... She was in mental health for, I want to say, about 30 years. Oh, wow. For one... But two, she's very educated and knows the nonprofit sector. So she helps guide me legally. She helps uh, guide me with the social media because I, I can't stand social media. <laughs> makes me go crazy. Um, I get on there every now and then. Now, um, I, I was off for three years, four years maybe. But I, in this time... If you don't have social media, the advertising and getting your name out there and getting your organization out there, it's almost impossible. Yeah, you're at a disadvantage for sure. So I had to get back on. Uh, so I peek in, you know, every now and then. But she helps me with, uh, with the social media part of it, um, just so I can, just so I can keep my mental health tip top. Well. Or as, as best as it could be. <laughs> right. right. So I, I'm finally off medications. Uh, that took a little while because uh, the withdrawals coming off those meds. Which ones did you have? I mean, I, you don't have to say anything you don't want to. I'm just curious as far as like the, the withdrawal, the addictive nature, if you were on anything um, like that. Let's see. The ones that I felt were really that really grabbed a hold of me was the Zoloft and the Gabapentin. Yeah. Uh, those two, uh, they, I think they got me really good as far as trying to kick them. Uh, but I, I felt that I was in a good enough position mentally to where it's time to start getting off meds. I was in the community, I was talking to people. I had things going uh, with the with the foundation. Um, 
I'm helping other veterans, but still the fog of those medications, the daily fog, uh, the tunnel vision type of uh, type of thinking. Everything was, you know, in a tunnel. Um, I was I was done with that. I wanted my mind to be able to expand to where it needed to be, so I could properly help people. Um, and so I want to say it was 2020. Um, I got COVID, and I got pretty sick. And maybe it was about a week later, I told my wife, hey, I haven't taken pills in a week. She said, do I need to order some more? I said, no, (laughs) no, Uh, hold on. I haven't taken them because I've been so sick. I'm throwing up even water. So I said, I think I'm, I'm actually becoming successful in kicking these meds. Um... And because of my COVID, I went to the to the VA, the ER. Uh, they put me in the ICU for a couple of days. And um, I realized I, I haven't been on meds for over a week now. I think I'm good. And so I'm finally off meds. Finally. And, and I feel so much better. I'm, I'm able to really think about others that I'm, you know assisting yeah i i like how you said the fog you know i feel like that's a very descriptive word for when you're when you're taking medication especially you know whether it's a downer opioid or um or you know like i've had somebody very close to me that was on that had to take methadone to get off of the other stuff right and and the methadone was at least 10 times worse than what they were doing before, you know, why they got onto methadone, right? Right. They were taking methadone to get them off of this shit. Then methadone took over and said, oh, scoot over. I got something to show you. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you were addicted before. Let me show you this. And then it's like, okay, well, now it's prescribed. So now you got to take it multiple times per day. And for X amount of time. And then you you try to cut back on that. And it's like sweet baby Jesus, like it, it's, you know, things are going down. There's people getting crazy. Well, then a lot of times when you start kicking yourself off of these medications, then your doctor or the hospital says, you know what? I can't help you anymore. If you're not going to continue to take these meds, I don't want to take these meds because they're making me feel worse than I, than I felt before. Yeah. Well, if you're going to not take these medications, I can't help you. Mm. Well, what kind of help is that? <laughs> you know, are you really helping? You're you're uh, putting a bandaid on on the problem, and that's that's uh, that's not the right thing. You know, especially coming from the medical field. You know, that's not what we do. We're always there to help. Why are why are why is the mental health community any different? If I don't want to take this med, don't make me take this med. Give me a, another oppor- or another choice. What's yeah. my other choice? What else can I do to not take this med? Because it makes me feel loopy, makes me dizzy, makes me have tunnel vision. And then the fog. The fog feels like a just a dark 
cloud that sits above you. And I'm sure we all, we've all seen those cartoons, you know, where that, that one little dark cloud follows, you know, the person around and just getting rained on, just that person getting mm -hmm. rained on. <laughs> and that's what it feels like sometimes taking some of those medications. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like clarity, it's, it's like you probably have a deeper sense of clarity once you're off of the medication. Yes. Like with life in, in general. Just with everything. Yeah. With everything. With, like you said, life. Yeah, I've, you know, and, and then it's hard. Life is already hard. Life is already going to kick you in the nuts. Like, right. no matter what. Like, right. that's the story of life. You're getting kicked in the nuts. You're going to feel pain. You're going to feel... Uh, trepidation, you're going to feel fear, you're going to feel love, right? You're going to feel good things too, but you're, but the purpose of life, I think, I think is to experience the range of motions, right? Because you don't know love really until, I mean, you do, but when you have loss, that sense of love is defined at a greater extent, like you love candy because it tastes good, right? But if you can't have anything for a long time and then you get to have a piece of candy, that it's even that much better. So without loss, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's a, um, there's a teeter totter. And, and when we have one thing that I've, I've gone down this road of, of thinking about loss, cause unfortunately I've had more than my fair share of loss of people that are very close to me that have forced these thoughts, right? That it's like, I, I got to think about, I got to make sense of this. Otherwise I'm going to be in a similar spot where I need to call you. Right. Right. So, and I'm trying to be proactive and, and then it's like, well, if you have a loss, you have a deeper sense of appreciation right and if you can catch it right if you can pull yourself out of the sorrow because it is quicksand if you can pull yourself out of the sorrow just just long enough to spark a thought of i'm thankful that this person was here at you know for a short amount of time and i got to experience it with them you know, it was me that got to, cause they were here for that short period of time, but, and then it's that sense of appreciation. Now you take that to somebody that you love right now and, and it, and you can be conscious of that moment being with them and, you know, and, and then I've gone back and forth cause then it's like, you know, with my kids and, um, am I not being conscious enough of how much I love them. Am I not spending enough time in the quality time? And then, so then guilt starts, you know, coming back and, and, um, starts ringing on my head. And then I have to, you know, so I have all these little, uh, thought gymnastics going on that, right. That it's, it's an interesting, um, but it's helped me to deal with my depression, with my, uh, anger, with my, all of these unruly emotions that um, left unchecked will send us down uh, possibly the barrel of a shotgun or, you know, a pistol. Yeah, and, and I get so, it. Yeah. So I'm, I, that's... Well, can, yeah. You, can you really appreciate an emotion if you don't know its opposite? 
Right. You know, can you really appreciate the emotion of love if you don't know the other side? Hate. Can you, I, I don't know if you, if you can. You have to know them both to know what is really good and what is bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the opposite side of the same coin. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you said at the other end, at the other end of a, of a barrel, you know, I, I used to, when I was drinking, when I was drinking really hard, I would, that's, uh, that's how I would explain my life, you know, is my life was always at the other, at the, at the bottom of a bottle or the, bo or the end of a barrel, mm. you know, because it's either I'm, I'm drinking or I'm thinking about suicide, you know? And yes, I was on these meds at the same time. I was drinking at the same time, taking these meds. I was, I was drinking, taking meds and doing drugs, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, all those together is not a good combination by any means. Probably taking any of those, those things singly were not a good thing, but then you add them all three together. It's a recipe for, for disaster, especially for a veteran you know, a combat veteran. Um, so I, I would all, my day-to-day -day life was at the other end of a bottle or a barrel every single day, you know, and that's a scary, scary uh, place to be in. I feel like you were extremely lucky with your wife that was very patient and that a lot of people aren't so lucky and you have you know you you do things and that which which sends away the people that you love right and now right. not only are you guilty for you being the th doing the things to yourself but now you're also guilty for what you've done to your family right and now you have all the weight of the world and everything on your shoulders and and that is a scary thing that is a scary thought for me to to try to to think about that you know because i know the thoughts that i've already had and how uh -huh. how they've affected me and and i'm extremely lucky because my wife has um put up with a lot of a lot of shit, mm -hmm. right and and she still loves me and that helps me it helps me uh, feel like I am, I am good enough, or that I, you know, that's. And if she wasn't there, man, that would be that would be tough. That would be very tough. Yeah, you know, like my wife would tell me, you know, during my drinking times, you know, I'm here because I love you. I want you to grow old with me, but doing what you're doing, you're not going to. You know, she would tell me about times she would cry to her mom. Um, about, I'm just going to leave this guy. I, I can't do this, mom. And she comes, my wife comes from a very traditional, you know, Mexican family. And her mom would tell her, you need to stick by your man. You need to be there for him. It's got to be scary for him. Stay with him and figure this out. Just be there by his side. And she did, you know, with a lot of prayer and things like that, you know, she tells me about the times that, that she would pray 
you know, she would just get the dogs and come and pray in the living room on her knees. And, um, and she would, you know, at times just before I'd go out to the bar, you know, just sit there and, you know, you really need to, to find, uh, the Lord again. <sighs> later, you know, later, I got this, I got this. You know, I was, I was raised in the church, you know, three, four, five times a week, we'd be there. You know, my great grandfather built the church that I was raised in. Uh, so I, I knew the way I should be living my life, but I just kind of fell, you know, off the wayside a bit. And, um, she said after, after praying, after, uh, after, you know, having talks with me, you know, figure this out. She said little by little, she started seeing little things and then. You know, the last, her last big prayer was help him. And with that, that's when I started getting hospitalized. And, you know, if you, if you are, you know, a religious person or if you are a believer, it's, things are not the way we want them. When we say, hey, fix this, you know, sometimes we think, you know, it's just going to be given to us here. There it is. It's fixed. But no, it's always, ha it always has to be a learning moment. It's always got to be, uh, something that you can learn from. And in this case, you know, fix him, help him. Good. Put him in the hospital. Maybe he'll learn from that. Nope. Didn't work. Put him in the hospital again. Nope. Still didn't work. Take his pancreas away. Wow. And that was the the learning moment right there. Damn. Yeah. Is there anything that you have to do now as far as foods that you can eat or can't eat or anything like that or that you have to eat or you can't or nothing that uh nothing set in stone to where, you know, if I eat this I'll get sick. Nothing like that. Um since then, I just, I tried to eat right anyways, just to, you know, help my body, my mind, body, and soul type thing. Um, just eating right, try to limit the fast foods and try to limit, you know, all the, the uh, what do you call it? Not manufactured, but the processed. processed. Try to limit the processed stuff and eat eat more greens, eat more eat more things that are going to be beneficial to me. You know, cakes and muffins and all that stuff is great. Yep. But, but they come with a price. <laughs> comes with a price. And sometimes that cost is, uh, is pretty hefty. So, yeah. Um, no, I try to eat right. Um, I do fall here and there, but you know, it's not to the point where I'm, I'm binging on, you know, some cakes and pastries you know, I'll have a bite, I'll feel guilty, yep. and, you know, <laughs> won't eat it for another few weeks. Um, so, yeah, I just try to, I just, I just try to live right now, you know, in everything I do. And again, I'm only human, so uh, I don't always do the right thing, but, you know, I'm always trying to do the right thing. That way I can do right by others 
Yeah, I, I agree. The the better that you can get yourself, the more help you can be to others. I think that this this has been uh, this has been a good little talk. I wanted you, like I said, to come out here, and then I wanted people to see what you do, and I wanted if there's any way that I can help or people that are listening to this and they want to help could reach out to you to offer themselves or volunteer. How would they get a hold of you? Where would they go? Well, you could go to my website, uh, brotherhoodbridge.org, um, dot org, or we have, uh, we have a Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you could just look me up on there, brotherhood bridge foundation and follow us on social media. Uh, if you're in, if you're not in a position to where you can help physically and you want to give a monetary gift, you can do that on my website. Um, very much appreciated because everything that comes to my website goes directly to helping out a veteran or first responder. Um, again, everything I do is selfless. Uh, but if you, if you cannot help physically and you cannot be at our events, you know, it's not a big deal. You can still help by, you know, giving a small donation or even giving a, a, um, a repeating monthly donation and it'll help other veterans or first responders to get trained to be able to help the rest of our community compound growth compound healing right right because everything everything we've done to this point has be has came out of pocket so uh it's it's getting costly it's getting costly so i i can really use you know some help um, and if you would like to come out and help with veterans personally, I, uh, encourage you to do so. We do have a peer support group that meets once a week on Thursdays at 1900. That's seven o'clock, 7 PM, um, at the working dogs for warriors location. Um, and that is at, uh, 170 North, North Arrowhead. Avenue in Rialto, uh, California, R-I-A-L-T-O. Um, so if you if you have a first responder or a veteran that's wanting to come and just talk to others who have the same like mind with very similar traumas, um, you know, come on out. Uh, we are not therapists. We do not go by the book. We do not. Uh, we are 100% anonymous. So nobody will ever know that you came to see this group if you don't tell them. Everything that's said in our group is 100% confidential within the group. I don't take attendance. I don't take notes. Um, it's just a place where you can come and, and, you know, let some steam off, you know, talk about anything you, you'd like to talk about, whether it's a, a bad week at the VA, whether it's a... A good week you had with your family um, whether you just want to come listen um, just come out check us out and uh, maybe it's a place that you feel comfortable in in talking yourself what I like to say is you know what we say to others does help impact and shape uh, the way others can think so your situation 
or your trauma or your good day or bad day, just speaking about it, not only does it help you to heal, but it may help others. It may help someone else. Just by talking about your situation may help someone else. Uh, it's kind of like in church. A lot of us have been to church. And when you go to church and the pastor's talking about a scripture and he uh, throws something out and you're thinking, how did he know that I'm going through this? Hmm. Well, how many others are in there listening to the same thing, thinking the same exact thing? How does he know? It's kind of like that. Just spilling your testimony, talking about your good day, talking about how you got through that bad day can help someone else. You know, and if you don't want to talk, you don't want to talk. You are not forced. Um, it's encouraged always because talking helps us. It, it'll help us get through our, our bad times. And that's why I like to say it, it takes a village. You know, we're all together in this. And you do have others that are willing to help you out and walk the walk with you. Yeah, I think you like read my mind because I was going to say, <laughs> what, what would you have to say to anybody out there? And, you know, this has been great because I just have been sitting here listening to you and everything that you've said uh, registers. And I think that there are there's a, a special place and there's an, there's a, there's a big need for people that do what you do, that have a big heart, that are actually out trying to help others, um, and using what they know in order to do that. And, you know, it's just refreshing because there are a lot of people out there that are not so selfless, that are not so, uh, caring about anybody else, you know, it's, and so, I think it's great, and I I think it's cool that you brought Sly over here. Um, so does he do like normal tricks, like like sit and you know, or is he it's does like, all that? So so what's different, you know, before we bring this to a close? Because I know there are a lot of people that would want to that that love Sly, like he steals the show wherever he goes. So is there is it how different is it than a normal dog? You know, I so, mean, you told me the things that he does, which I think is cool, but, but from a companionship, like hanging out or, um, he's just my all around buddy. Um, I'll tell you, there's times when I take off to the store and I just think to myself, I'll just go by myself and I'm driving down the street and I feel so guilty. I'm just going to the store to go <laughs> grab me a coffee or something. And I feel so <laughs> guilty that I turn around and I go get him. <laughs> just to go get some gas or get some coffee and come home. Um, so he's, he's become uh, a lifeline, I guess, uh, because he, he's really helped me to live again. You know, I, I didn't have the feeling to live. I, I didn't know what I wanted, you know, before yeah, we talked about the whole uh, getting a service dog. And I, I didn't know what was next i didn't i didn't even know if i wanted to live because i had stopped drinking i had stopped doing drugs but what was next <laughs> i had no clue everything was still uh very dark but after getting him he's he's kind of lit my path and 
he he kind of does for me what I help others do. So he's he walks the walk with me. He's my ear when when I need someone to listen to me. You know, he I don't even know if he understands me sometimes. <laughs> but I talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know if that's crazy, so please don't tell my psych. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. You got to be crazy in order to be sane, though. <laughs> I guess so. And, and it goes back to what I was saying. Can you really appreciate this if you have not felt its opposite? Good point. You know, it's the whole yin and yang. Mm-hmm. Order and disorder and yeah, love and hate and yeah. Male and female, you got all kinds of different, but yeah, it's, um, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah, really. We could go for another hour or two. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, that's cool, man. I'm glad that you came and then maybe, maybe you can come back again and maybe we can, um, do a late, maybe a deeper dive on a particular subject yeah. like PTSD, because I know there are a lot of people out there that have suffered from PTSD, um, first responders and vets and even normal people that have been in traumatic experiences you know True. so i think that i think that is a is an important topic that a lot of people i think would be able to glean some kind of insight from and you know and i think if we have a, a more time you know to get into that i think that would be that would be a pretty cool thing so maybe at some point you can come back and yeah definitely you know do something but either way i think this has been a great little talk. Do you have anything else that you'd like to throw out there? Or? No. Uh, thank you for bringing me out. Uh, it's much, much appreciated. Uh, like I said, I've been working, you know, really hard this uh, past year. So uh, by doing this show, it kind of kind of lets me know, like, you know, you're on the right track of, of doing something, you know, that the people can see and hear. I think if you do the right thing for the right reason, the universe will get your back <laughs> and it will put the right yes. people in the right place yes. at the right time for you. And and that's what I've felt um, actually since I became sober and I started to do things, uh, you know, not so much for myself, but doing them for others. Things come and and how that comes, I don't know, but if you're doing things righteously, uh, like you said, the universe has your back. Um, and you know, the universe is going to make it happen the way it needs to happen. As long as you're doing things for the right reasons, you know, you start doing, doing bad stuff or doing things for the wrong reasons. It's going to get taken from you somehow. Yep. It will come back and slap your face. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's why, that's why I try to live right and do the right things. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to do that too because, because I have been slapped in the face. I have, you know. Same. And, and so it's like, no, no, I don't like that. Let's do the right things, the right reason, be a good person, be sincere, actually be who you say and do what you say and say what you do and you know, and, and I've experienced by doing that, people have come into my path. Um, miracles have happened. Things have happened to me that, um, that I thank God for. Whether somebody believes or they don't believe, that's on them. I, I, I don't judge. I don't care. I mean, 
you know, hopefully it's good and they found whatever floats their boat. But for me, um, there, there have been some coincidences that it's just like, man, they're like, I believe in God. I believe that there's, you know, again, that's, that's probably another whole conversation, but I'm very thankful and it makes me feel good to be able to say, thank you, God, for Eddie being here today, or thank you, God, for the food, because it was so good, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. how much of a bummer would that be if you tasted, like, the best steak that you ever had, and you couldn't say, thank you, God. Like, that'd be a real bummer, right? yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but either way, um, thank you again for coming, and for anybody out there listening, you know, if you're going through a hard situation in life or you have gotten slapped in the face and you're experiencing that. I feel like Eddie is a perfect example of what you can do in order to help yourself. I feel like the best way to help yourself is to help somebody else. And I think most of the volunteers, most of people that are out there helping, they understand that. And so if you're hurting in life in a particular area, I would recommend you go out and see where you can contribute your time, thoughts, money, and make a difference because what you do does make a difference. What I do does make a difference. And as long as you understand that and you do the right things for the right reasons, you're going to make it and you're going to make it for others. And so... The whole idea of move is make a difference for other people, is offer up your time, talents, and gifts, is to find victory in the small things. And that just really means being sensitive to appreciation. Appreciate the little victories. And then E is encourage others. And so uh, you're a perfect example of move. And if anybody is out there, you can think of something, uh, well then move and go do it. So until the next time, I appreciate your time and hasta la vista, baby. <laughs>